Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. At Founders Brewing Company, we set out to create a beer that lets you embrace the unconventional. Mortal Bloom is a radiantly beautiful, hazy IPA that will wrap your taste buds with intense citrus and tropical notes of pineapple and mango. Coming in at 6.2% ABV with big aromatics and no bitterness, it's the perfect beer, if we do say so ourselves. Visit foundersbrewing.com to find Mortal Bloom Hazy IPA. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year off on the right foot. And so I'm going to start you off with a recommendation. Why not check out Donna Tartt's Pulitzer Prize winning The Goldfinch? Once you start this book, you cannot stop, and it is exquisitely read by David Patu. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text L-E-V-A-R to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and a free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Today, I want to share a story with you from Oscar Casares. It's called Mrs. Perez, and it's from his collection entitled Brownsville Stories, published by Little Brown & Company. Oscar was a recipient of the National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship, and he now teaches at the University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns. The title of his collection, Brownsville, refers to Oscar's hometown on the Texas border, and he has said that the grains of some of these stories actually come from people and places in his real life. This story centers on a lady who's about retirement age a woman named Lola Perez. She's the kind of lady who lives sort of quietly and just has so much bubbling beneath the surface. It makes me think about how 
people are the sum of their lifetime, of their parts, you know? The, the person that you meet today is only kind of the person that they were 30 years ago. And yet, there is at this core, this inner truth that might take a while to develop in a human being, but it's always there. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Mrs. Perez by Oscar Casares. Her name was engraved in black cursive letters, an inch above the finger holes. Lola. The ball's cherry red color and gold swirls made it look as if it were catching fire when she released it down the lane. People stopped to watch when she was up. First, she tugged on her wrist brace to make it snug. Then she dried her fingers over the air vent before she lifted the ball from the tray. Once she was on the floor, she stood absolutely still. Her gaze locked on the pens. She was in no hurry. Approaching the foul line, her stride became more fluid as she bent her right knee slightly and trailed her left leg around the back with the grace of a young bride dancing with her new husband for the first time. The ball spun toward the left edge of the lane, held its position, flirted with the gutter, then hooked sharply to the right, exploding into the pocket between the number one and two pins. The destruction echoed through the bowling alley. Her compact size was the source of her power. She measured 5 feet 2 inches and weighed 164 pounds, most of it concentrated in her thighs and hips. The ball weighed 15 pounds. While other 68-year-olds were slowing down, her body seemed to recover lost years each time she lined her feet up with the dots on the floor. Her living room was a testament to her God-given talent. Every space on the coffee table, windowsill, bookcase, and television held a trophy. Brownsville Ladies Invitational, first place. Rio Grande Valley Open, most valuable player. Alamo City Ladies Classic, second place. Blue Bonnet Queens Tournament, first place. Chicago Queen Pens Invitational, first place. Las Vegas Women's Senior National Championship Honorable Mention. But this was before the cherry red ball was stolen. Lola had been at the beauty parlor that afternoon. The girl at the parlor gave her hair an auburn tint that came close to matching its original color. Her hair held a perfectly round shape that rose a few inches and flourished in a curl just above her eyebrows. Women's league play was starting that night, and she wanted to look nice. She drove home and couldn't help occasionally catching a glimpse of her hair in the rearview mirror. When she unlocked the front door, she thought she heard a noise, maybe footsteps. She had lived alone for the past 16 years and had grown used to a quiet house. She put down her purse and listened, but the house was silent. And then, 
Right in front of her, somebody ran through the kitchen and out the back door. It happened so fast, she thought she'd imagined it, but there was no imagining the loud slap of the screen door. On the back steps, she saw a teenage boy toss her bowling bag over the chain-link fence and then jump it himself. Parate, guerco, mendigo, desgraciado. Somebody stop him, somebody! But no one did. The teenager had enough time to stop in the alley and laugh at the way the old lady was screaming. He was tall and wiry, nothing but skin and bones and a crew cut. His baggy jeans hung extra low on his nalgas. Holding Lola's bowling bag in his right hand, the teenager sauntered away as if he'd just been paged that his lane was ready. Lola was still in shock when she called the police. She had to look at an old utility bill lying next to the recliner so she could remember her own address. After she hung up the phone, she went back to the kitchen. Off in a corner, she found two banana peels on her linoleum floor. Then she noticed the back screen window was ripped open. She blamed herself for not having checked to make sure the windows were down. Not locking your windows was an invitation for somebody to rob you. In the bathroom, the toilet seat was up and the commode was full of bright yellow urine. It would be her luck to get a thief without the decency to flush. She couldn't believe the bedroom when she saw it. The dresser drawers were turned over and the contents were spilled onto the floor in one huge pile. Her underwear and brassieres were mixed in with toenail clippers and costume jewelry. Shoeboxes containing her important documents were emptied on top of this. Old photos that had been stored in a hat box were scattered in a separate pile. The mattress was turned over and leaning against the wall as if anyone were idiota enough to still leave her money under a mattress. The only things missing from the bedroom were an old pocket watch that didn't work and had belonged to her late husband, Augustine Perez, and her wedding rings, which she hardly wore anymore. It could have been worse. She made it a point not to keep any money in the house for this very reason. Lola sat in the living room and waited for the police. She thanked God the teenager hadn't touched her trophies, the 23 frozen lady bowlers had witnessed the break-in, but they were all in their usual positions. The only thing that was different about the room was the empty spot where she kept her bowling bag. Her daughter, Margie, would have something to say about all this. She had been trying to get Lola to sell the small three-bedroom house and live with her in Houston. Her two other daughters were in agreement, but it was Margie who would use the robbery to build her case. Eventually, Lola would have to tell her to mind her own business. She lived too long to be talked to like a young girl. Nobody told her what to do or how to live anymore. Not a daughter who lived more than 300 miles away, and not some cabron who left banana peels on her floor. She was surprised to see such a young police officer knocking on her door. He was maybe 25 and a little taller than she was. Her first thought was that she'd been robbed by a teenage boy and now she was reporting the crime to his slightly older brother. The officer walked through the house, letting out a little whistle each time he noticed more evidence of the break-in. 
She wished they would have sent someone with more experience. How long have you been a policeman? She asked. Uh, two years, ma'am. Why? Because I asked them to send Timo Inohosa. He was my husband's friend. He lives on this street. I don't know, but I think Sergeant Inohosa is getting ready to retire. He stays at the station a lot, you know? He's not so young anymore. Eso que quiere decir? I'm sorry, Mrs. Perez. I, I was just saying that after so many years, he deserves not to work so hard. Lola stopped to think about that. She had never seen her neighbor as an old man, especially since he was a few years younger than she was. They sat at the kitchen table so the officer could fill out his report. I saw him with my own eyes, she said. Did he look like he was in junior high or high school, the officer asked. Like a teenager? How did you know? The bananas, he said. Sometimes these kids break in and they spend all their time eating or drinking people's beer. We got a call one time from a woman whose house had been broken into. She wasn't going to call us, but then she found one of these boys in the backyard throwing up. He started to laugh at this, but stopped when he saw that Lola wasn't smiling. It's good, he ran off Mrs. Perez. Some of them get crazy on spray paint and they think they can do anything. Lola shook her head. Can you tell me exactly what he took, ma'am? My bowling ball. And what else? My bag. Your purse? No, my bowling bag with my ball. Anything else? That's not enough for you. She explained that it was a polyurethane ball that had cost $175 plus an extra 15 for the fitting. $10 for the engraving, and $30 for a black leather bag that had her full name embroidered on the outside. Her shoes were in the bag, and they were worth another $35. And then she remembered her wrist brace, which was another 10 The officer wrote it all down, but he didn't offer much hope. They'd put the word out at the pawn shops. You never know, he said as he was leaving. In all the confusion... Lola forgot to mention the rings or the busted watch. She sat in the recliner again and looked at her trophies. Most of them had been won with her cherry red ball, and she tried to remember a time before she had the ball. She had started bowling only after her husband died of a bad heart at the age of 52. All the Perez men had heart problems that were only made worse with their tempers, Lola had to admit that in spite of his faults, Augustine had worked hard and had taken care of his family. The girls had been able to go away to college with the savings he had set aside. Lola lived comfortably now because of how tight he was with money throughout their marriage. Over the years, she and Augustine passed by the bowling alley hundreds of times, but they never entered the building. Puros vicios. That's all you're going to find inside those four walls. People throwing their money away. Parandiando. Augustine worked as an electrician for the city and earned a decent living, but he never wanted to spend more than was absolutely necessary. He considered anything other than work and church to be a waste of time and money, something invented to make sure the working man stayed poor. 
After the girls started school, Lola found a job as a receptionist at a doctor's office. She only worked until 2 in the afternoon so she could be home when her girls got out of school. The office was an escape from her life of cooking and cleaning. She learned about illnesses she had never heard of, talked to the patients and the medical representatives who came by, and even helped out the nurses when they were busy. She admired a nurse named Vanji, who had gone to school while she was raising her children. Lola and Vanji were about the same age, but Vanji looked much younger in her crisp white uniform. If there weren't too many patients, they would sometimes take their breaks together, either in the file room or behind the office where Vanji could smoke. Except for some Maria Felix movies, Lola had never seen a woman smoke so freely. You should have been a nurse, Vanji told her one day. She was lighting a cigarette next to the back door. Uh, it's too late now, Lola said. Not really. You could get your nurse's aid certificate. Ah, I don't have time. Sure you do, Vanji said. It takes less than a year. The doctor might even help you pay for it. I don't know, Vanji. Well, I think you should. She took a short draw on her cigarette and blew the smoke straight up. I think you would make a good nurse. The possibility of a different life surprised Lola. After her first baby, she had never really considered doing anything other than raising her family. She had been a good student in high school, and her teachers were always encouraging her to do something with her future. Maybe this was it. The girls were old enough to help around the house and give her time to study. She spent months thinking it over. Then one day, Augustine came home from work with the flu. The next morning, she brought him into the doctor's office. The waiting room was already crammed with other patients, many of them also suffering through the flu. Augustine became impatient the longer it took. Lola helped the nurses as much as she could, especially when it came Augustine's turn to see the doctor. She couldn't believe how fate had worked to grant her this moment with her husband. Augustine would be able to see how much she'd learned and how easily it came to her. Studying to be a nurse's assistant would be the most natural thing for her to do. She weighed him, took his temperature, read his blood pressure, and handed him the glass bottle for his urine sample. She was methodical in how she did it because she wanted to impress him, although she questioned whether he was well enough to notice anything she was doing. A few days passed before he started feeling better. We need to talk, he told her that night. Decay? About what you do at the doctor's office? Did you see all I learned how to do? I saw it. You do this with everybody who comes in. Only when they get busy and they need me. And to the men? Sometimes. I don't choose the patients. They just say, Mrs. Perez, we need you here. Mrs. Perez, we need you over there. Don't matter what they say. I don't want you doing that anymore. But why? Because I don't want my wife walking around with bottles of you-know-what. It's called a urine sample. It's called meados, where I come from. Ay, you're being crazy now, 
Some man sticks it in that glass bottle, makes his choro, and then my wife walks around the office like she's carrying a glass of lemonade, and you think I'm the crazy one? Augustine, por favor. No, Lola. You're going to stop all of that ahorita mero. I can't stop my job. Yes, you can. You just tell them tomorrow morning that you're not going to touch any more bottles with miados. If they don't like it, tell them I said to call your husband. I'll explain it to them, real clear. She never told them anything, and instead quit at the end of the week. When Vanji asked her why, she said her family needed her. After she stopped working at the office, Lola saw Vanji only when she or one of her girls was sick. She always stayed a little longer at the office on those visits. Vanji would invite her out to lunch or coffee, and Lola would say she'd call one of these days, but then she never would. Lola might not have seen her again if Vanji hadn't come to offer her condolences at Augustine's rosary. When Lola looked up from her pew, she realized that the woman standing in front of her was the last friend she could remember having made in more than ten years. They held each other, and Lola cried on her shoulder, some for Augustine, but also because the scent of cigarette smoke on Vanji's sweater reminded her of what she had walked away from. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. And I'll give you a recommendation of my own, Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. It's about art and humanity and David Pitou does an incredible job narrating. At over 700 pages, it is an epic story, and I can tell you from personal experience, a satisfying one as well. And you can listen to it right now on Audible, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text L-E-V-A-R to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and a free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Now, let's get back to our story. Lola and Vanji finally went out for the lunches they'd been talking about for years. Usually, they went to Luby's on Saturdays. They both liked the cafeteria selection and they could stay as long as they wanted to. Vanji was always introducing Lola to her bowling friends she'd see at the restaurant. She and her husband, Beto, were on a men's and women's league that played every Wednesday night. When Vanji would introduce her as Lola, 
and not Mrs. Perez? It felt as if she were trying to pass for someone she'd met once many years earlier. It took some convincing for Lola to finally accept Vanjie's invitation to come watch her bowl. She sat at a table on the upper level so she could see all 30 lanes at once. Half the lanes were reserved for league play and half were for regular play. The bowling alley was louder than she ever imagined it would be. She found a new world in the thunder of the smashing pens, the musical notes coming from the pinball machines, the laughter of kids running around the tables, the mournful sound of Freddie Fender's voice on the jukebox, the click-clack-click of the foosball, and the crackling intercom that told everyone Candy's nachos were ready and getting cold. She saw some of the same women Vanjie had introduced her to at lunch, and now they came up between games and introduced her to their friends. There was an Alice and a Dora and a Linda and an Edith and a Dolly and a, a Terry and so many others that she couldn't remember who was who. No, she'd never bowled, she kept having to tell all these new people. They looked at her as if she had told them she'd never been with a man. Do you want to try it? Vanjie asked her after the league play ended. I no. Lola waved her away. Why? Just doy muy vieja, Vanjie. Lola, you're only two years older than me. Yeah, but you... Come on, I'll show you how. You can quit if you don't like it. Vanjie pulled her out of her seat and brought her down to the floor. Lola stood next to Vanjie and followed her motions. It was one, two, three, four steps and released the ball. Vanjie held Lola's left hand and showed her how far back to swing her arm. All she had to do was aim for the little arrows on the floor. Holding Vanjie's ball made her feel as if she were somehow being disloyal to Augustine, worse than if she had been carrying another man's urine in a glass bottle. Lola knocked down nine pins with her first throw. She picked up the spare on her second throw, and as fast as the number seven pin slammed into the back panel, she was hooked. She had strikes on her fifth and eighth frames. A month later, she joined the Rio Grande Valley Women's League and played for the Luna Lumber Supply. On the back of her team's shirt, a giant hammer came smashing down on ten bowling pins that were running away with horror on their faces. Lola had started bowling with a 14-pound ball she bought at the local pro shop. It was a plain black rubber ball that cost her $40. She still remembered how they took special care measuring her fingers for the holes and how it felt as if she were being fitted for an expensive piece of jewelry. She was happy now that she'd stored her old ball in the cuartito next to the washer and dryer. This was the ball she'd be using for league play that night. She spent the afternoon cleaning up the house and putting everything back in its place. Time passed quickly until she got distracted looking at the old photos in the hatbox. Some of the pictures were more than 40 years old. She found one taken in April 1947, 
when she and Augustine were honeymooning in Monterrey. They had spent the afternoon making love in their hotel room, and that evening decided to go for a stroll. In the distance, they spotted an old man struggling to carry his large camera stand through the jardin. Lolo waited while Augustine haggled with the photographer for 20 minutes. Augustine had offered him half the standard price. The old man kept saying it was unjust that he would be making only a few pesos for his services. His family had to eat too. Augustine told him he would be making even less if he continued to be so terco about his price. Lola tried to help by saying she'd put in the extra pesos, but Augustine hushed her and said he would handle it. When he grabbed Lola's hand so they could walk away, the old man gave in. Augustine squeezed her hand and smiled to let her know he'd been planning it that way all along. In the photo, the newlyweds stood with their backs to a lit water fountain. Lola held a bouquet of flowers that Augustine had borrowed from a young man whose girlfriend hadn't shown up yet. Augustine gripped his new bride around her slender waist. She wore the nervous smile of a young woman who has just realized that she's boarded the wrong train. Lola arrived at the bowling alley earlier than usual. She wanted to get comfortable with the old ball before everyone showed up. The manager was working behind the counter, and after he heard what happened, he let her borrow a pair of shoes on the house. She stopped by the pro shop and bought the same kind of wrist brace she had before. It took only a few frames for her to find her rhythm with the ball. The lanes had been conditioned that morning for the beginning of league play. She bowled a 174 on her first practice game. Word spread quickly about Lola's cherry red ball. It seemed that she had spent half the night answering questions about the break-in. She was having a hard time concentrating on her game. The loss of her ball sank in when her friends said how sorry they were about what had happened. The other ladies on the DeLuna team were expecting her to score high for them. For most of the women, this was a social hour, a time to leave their husbands with the kids and go out with the girls. There was always talk going back and forth among the different teams. Lola joined in when they were just sitting around, but during the game, she played to win. She managed to pull it together in the second game and started knocking down some strikes. Between frames, she kept to herself and let her teammates chat with one another. She thought about the teenager. She saw him laughing at her on the other side of the fence. He was slouching with his pants hanging low since he never ate anything besides other people's bananas. And he had a smirk on his face because he'd taken something that was hers and there was nothing an old woman could do about it. She put her anger into the release of the black ball. Her power rolled, spun, and hooked down 60 feet of maple wood until she found the perfect place to let out her frustration. Her last game was her best. The bowling alley grew quiet each time she lined up with the ball. She had strikes in the first, second, and fourth frames. By then, she'd forgotten about the teenager. She still wanted her ball back. It was hers, and she'd paid enough for it, but she also knew it was just a ball. 
The important thing was that she was bowling a little better now. The ball hooked as if it were being pulled along a wire that extended from the foul line to the pocket. It was only the first week of the league, but she played as though it were the last. She had a strike on the 10th frame. On the bonus frame, she split the 7 and 10 pins and barely missed picking up the spare. Her final score was a 244. DeLuna held on to second place just behind Ferdi's pest control. Lola and Vanji stayed to have some beers with the rest of the team. One of the ladies commented that Lola must be colorblind because she had scored almost as many strikes with her black ball as she had with the cherry red one. The rest of the ladies laughed. Lola smiled, but she worried about how long it would take to really get her game back. She spent the next few weeks practicing and playing in the league. Afterward, she'd linger in front of the pro shop and gaze at the new bowling balls inside the glass case. At home, she had several dog-eared catalogs with the latest models, but she couldn't make up her mind which, if any, to buy. So she decided to wait. Two months passed before Lola regained her old form. It happened one night during league play when she scored a 284, a personal best. The black ball seemed to find a groove on the lane, and the strikes and spares just kept coming. Vanji and the other ladies stayed to have a beer after the last game, but Lola said she was tired. Next time, she told them. Lola drove down International and stared past the occasional headlights on the road. She thought about how well she had bowled that night and how her game had improved over the past few weeks. She felt that maybe she should have stayed for one beer. Her friends would be at the bowling alley for a while. Lola considered turning the car around, but she was already close to home. She decided instead to stop at the Jiffy Mart to buy a six-pack. There were so many beers to choose from, she spent a few minutes opening and closing the refrigerator doors until she picked up a six-pack of Pearl Light. She walked to the counter with her fingers looped through the plastic ring holder. It took a while to get the clerk's attention because he was watching a boxing match on a mini-TV. Chingatelo! He yelled from his wooden stool. She had to wait for the end of the round to buy her beer. Lola placed the six-pack in the front seat of the car and pulled out of the parking lot. She had driven less than a block when she thought she saw the teenager walking in the direction of the store. Even in the dark, she recognized him, walking the same cocky way he had in the alley with her bowling bag. Lola turned the car around and drove back to the Jiffy Mart. The teenager was about to reach the entrance when she stepped in front of him. Her shoulders were back and her chin was up, but he was still a foot taller. She grabbed him by the shoulder and was surprised at the strength she felt in his arm. I want my ball. What are you talking about, Grandma? Tufuiste, you stole it from my house. I saw you. I remember. You didn't see nothing, okay? He yanked his arm back and leaned into Lola's face close enough to kiss her. And if you're smart... You'll keep your mouth shut. 
His eyes were glassy, and he smelled like the solution they used to condition the lanes. Give me back my ball. Shit, I already told you, I don't have your ball. Did you sell it? Like I said, I don't know nothing about nothing. Le voy a hablar a la policía. And what? You want me to get all scared? Call them. There's the payphone. I'll be cruising before they even get here. Just give me my ball. You're crazy, Grandma. He shoved her aside and walked into the store. Lola walked back to her car. From behind the steering wheel, she could see him standing at the back of the store, flipping through a magazine. He looked up between pages to see if she'd picked up the phone. All she wanted was her ball. If he gave it back, she wouldn't even report him. She thought about calling from her house, but she knew he'd be gone by the time the police arrived. She wished she'd never stopped at the store or seen the teenager walking down the dark street. Now, she couldn't turn away. She couldn't let him walk away a second time. Her only chance was to call from the store's payphone. She opened the trunk of her car and unzipped her bag. She slipped on her wrist brace and pulled it snug around the palm of her hand. As she walked into the store, the black ball felt as if it were a part of her arm. The clerk was still shouting for his boxer to knock out the other guy. Chingatelo! He kept yelling. The teenager stood at the end of the long aisle. He was laughing at something he'd seen in the magazine. Lola stepped back as far as she could. The tiles on the floor were white with tiny specks of red and green. The aisle was wider than a bowling lane. She locked her gaze on the teenager. She concentrated as she took her one, two, three, four steps and released the black ball down the aisle. The rumble started low and grew louder with each second. The ball stayed centered as it shot past the shelves of dishwashing liquid, detergent, oven cleaners, aluminum foil, diapers, pacifiers, formula mix, aspirin, cough syrup, cold and flu medicine, and then found its target. Strike. So, Mrs. Perez, um, this story really uh, puts me in mind of, you know, that adage, you cannot judge a book by its cover. Um, on the outside, this woman seemed, at least to me, to live that life of quiet desperation, but she had this gift this talent that she discovered relatively late in life. You know, she had at one point discovered something else that she was good at, aside from being a wife and a mother. She had this knack for nursing. And, you know, her husband, he just shut that part of her down. And then, as is the case in so many relationships, once Augustine checks out, her whole world changes, which... which yeah. 
You know, it it happens a lot. I, I, I with married couples, you sort of you get into this rhythm of living, and it's hard to break that rhythm. And you need a pattern interrupt, like you know, a, a major illness or 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 the death of of a spouse, to really shake up your reality and point out to you, wow, I have I been sleeping all this time? Have I just been walking around, sort of sleepwalking through my life? And I think that happens for Mrs. Perez. That you know, once. Once her husband dies and she she has some experience at living independently, she she discovers that she likes it and she likes herself and she enjoys not being accountable to anyone else but herself, not her daughters, not 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 her dead husband's memory, you know, she really enjoys her autonomy and when this kid comes in and upsets that reverie, you know, that has become her life, her, her bowling and, and the social aspect and beers with the girls, you know, after the games. Um, when that all gets interrupted by the theft of the bowling ball, she really is forced to take stock of, of her life all over again, as I'm sure she did when Augustine died. And, and I love that she comes to the conclusion, after all, you know what? It was a bowling ball. It's just a ball. Um, and she overcame the loss of that thing really, really well. That kind of resilience that she showed at that age is really inspiring because <laughs> I know how rigid I can be in my thinking and behaving. And, and you know, it, 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 it's not easy to snap out of that entrained way of, of thinking and, and behaving. You know, there's something else that, that, that this story really brings up for me that I guess I've kind of been avoiding um, looking at. My mom passed uh, last year in September, and she was 85. And you know, it was obviously you know a big event in my life. So you know, when I read a story like Mrs. Perez, and I think about my mom, and I think about you know the impact and influence that she's had on my life, and 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 on the lives of so many others. And you know, my mom, like Mrs. Perez, is certainly someone who discovered what her purpose was in life. You know, she had a couple of careers as first an English teacher and then a social worker. She finished her career, you know, reviewing board and care facilities for for elderly populations. But my mom's job was spreading light. That's what she did. That's That was her avocation um and and i think she really hit her stride later in life certainly after she was finished with the job of raising her kids and um and got to spend time with grandkids and she just became mellower you know and so this the story makes me think of of irma jean um a lot and how how glad i am that that my experience of her was that she found her place in life. She found, she discovered what her gift was and was unashamed at giving that gift to the world. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. Our assistant producer is Audrey No. 
Editing and sound design by the very talented Adam Dybert. And always our thanks to the muy amable Matt Gordy. And we are very grateful to our friends at Little Everywhere for their help in producing this episode. My great thanks today to Oscar Casares for allowing me to read his story. You can find it in his collection entitled Brownsville Stories from Little Brown and Company. It's also available as an audiobook narrated by the very talented Luis Moreno. And hey, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, it's easy to do. Just leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, tell us what story you want to hear on the podcast. We have been using your suggestions in season two, and they have been fantastic. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another handpicked story. Or if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelette. I'm LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. The LeVar Burton Kids Skybury service is available. Just type in LeVarBurtonKids.com and I'll see you next time. But you don't have to take my word. Stitcher. Hey guys, I'm Andrea Salenzi, host of The Longest Shortest Time, a show about the surprises and absurdities of parenthood in all its forms. Now, longtime listeners will know that I'm brand new to hosting the show. I'm taking over for the show's creator, Hillary Frank. Is there anything she needs to know in order to take over my job? Lucky for me, Hillary got some advice for me from her daughter, Sasha. Speak with a loud and clear voice. Audit, Sasha. What else? Just, um, don't fart in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what if she accidentally lets one out? Should she pretend it didn't happen, or should she acknowledge it? No, she should say, sorry, that was just a fart. So if you listen to our show, maybe you'll hear me say that. You probably won't. I'm really good at not farting. The Longest Shortest Time is available now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. <gasps> oh, sorry. That was just a fart. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, Taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra sharp cheddar cheese. <sighs> we know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook Cheddar. Extraordinary Dairy. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.